Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. It is, um, in the good old days, every Sunday had a Latin title. This is Invocavit. It came from, uh, the, you know, the first words of the introit, usually. This, this Sunday is uh, a famous Sunday, kind of, in Lutheran lore, because when Luther was away uh, in the Wartburg, you know, hiding out, pretended he was a knight after the uh, Diet of Worms, he was hiding out and he was translating the you know, New Testament and all this kind of stuff. Things just went to hell in Wittenberg. I mean, everybody sort of, with Luther out of the picture, everybody jumped up and tried to grab control. Uh, and it just, it was, it was chaotic. It was a mess. And what's really interesting is one of the pastors there, Karlstadt, who was a very strong-willed guy. Now, they hadn't had uh, the Eucharist in both kinds. I mean, they hadn't had the body and the blood. Uh, for, uh, you know, a couple hundred years. And one of the guys said, um, very non-pastorally, this is the way we do this, this is what Jesus said. And he started forcing people to take communion both kinds. Everything blew up because people weren't used to it. They hadn't been taught. It was a new thing. They thought it was wrong. It was really right. It was a disaster. One of the reasons Luther comes out of hiding is because his parish church is such a mess. And now here's the weird thing pastorally, Luther comes back, and he's very, he knows very clearly that Jesus says, take, eat, take, drink. He comes back, and he takes the chalice away from the people. Imagine. So he takes the chalice back, and he says, you haven't been taught into this yet, and I know it's troubled your consciences, and I know, you know, it's, it's hurting people, so we're going to pastorally kind of work this through. It's this amazing pastoral act where he kind of, you know, in effect violates the words of Jesus in order that people could be consoled, and eventually, of course, it does come in, but it takes some years, and it takes some teaching, and it takes some kindness. We have to kind of remember that when we do things. That's why we always teach, we try to teach for years before we introduce things, um, depending on the circumstance and the congregation and all that. But, you know, kind of, so anyway, there's this famous group of servants, sermons called the Invocavit Sermons, where he talks about this, um, and how he has to take care of people. It's very kind of interesting stuff. So anyway, first Sunday in Lent, Invocavit, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8, and that's what you see. Um, you actually see Jesus destroying the destroyer. That's why the early church thought this was so interesting, you know. All these kind of paradoxes. The destroyer is destroyed. You know, the host becomes the meal. Uh, you know, all death dies. You know, evil suffers. Suffering suffers. It's such an interesting time of the church here. So here we are, Lent 1. Oh, God by whose spirit we're led into the wilderness of trial. Grant that standing in your strength against the powers of darkness, we win the victory over all evil suggestions, and with a singleness of heart we serve you and you alone. Through Christ our Lord, who was tempted but did not fall. Amen. Okay, good to see you. Thanks for coming back. It's a busy morning. Uh, kids are away, and, uh, you know, that's good. So say a prayer for Pastor Nelson, you know. Anytime you're off with... The high school kids, it's not a vacation, okay? So uh, whatever they're doing, you know, he's got, a, he's got an eye on them. Um, I want to try to get you through because for a very practical, oh, I should start with other stuff. Pause. February is SE month. How's that? Very good. Hey, I don't have to go to SE because I can remember SE. <laughs> At least this year. Next year, it could be something different. It could be different next year. Um, put some money in the basket for Essie. If you want to volunteer, that's always a nice thing, too. Sign about 10 people onto that and just pass it around, okay? Um, 
So if you, uh, you know, SE is a good thing. It's, you know, adult, basically care for adults who maybe can't completely care for themselves, and we support that. And Tony Briesman is the one who kind of is in charge of that. You can sign up. You know to do that. Um, if you want to go to France and um, drink champagne and eat oysters with Arthur and I, it's in back, so let me know. There's a couple of you who have expressed some interest. I'm actually next week going to go see Pete Ladick, who's the third guy. I'm preaching for him in California next weekend. Still come. The vicar will be here. There's plenty of stuff for you. To, he's actually working on some kind of cool stuff, so make sure you come back next week. But uh, So I'll see Ladick next week, So and Just will be here in a couple of weeks. By the way, the men's retreat so far uh, is a smashing success. We've booked every room that we accounted for. I think there's 60 or 70 guys signed up just for you men types and for you women who want to get rid of the men in your life. Um, here's the deal, but not permanently. Just for an evening, yes, not permanently. Um, so, just, so here's the deal, March 15th and 16th. Basically, it's free beer, free pizza, and an hour with Justin, then goofing around. So you come to the Embassy Suites down by the Home Depot, and you figure out where our room is, and you drink beer. This is not complicated. Um, <laughs> You go home and go to bed. You come back the next morning and, I don't know, we'll figure something out. Bring your own Starbucks. I think they wanted to charge us like $90 a pot of coffee, so bring your own Starbucks that moment, okay? It's a, it was obscene, the amount that they wanted for coffee. So, what, so there'll be an hour on Friday night and an hour on um, Saturday morning and then long periods of digestion, chatter. Now, here's the thing. It's a great time to bring friends. You don't have to stay overnight. We moved it closer so that we would eliminate the drive and people could show up. So you know what? Just show up. You don't even have to RSVP anymore. We know, we've got our rooms. We've got our numbers. You know, if you wanted to show up, I'm sure we could still finagle you an extra room. But everything is taken care of a month in advance. Congratulations. We never do it a month in advance at St. John. Well done. Um, so, you know, kind of look for that. But it's a great thing to bring. I mean, you know Arthur. He's very approachable. He's very kind. Uh, and he's going to talk on a man's life as pilgrimage. A couple of you asked me, you know, who maybe aren't married or don't have kids, a lot of times these things turn into being a better husband, being a better father, and we actually know the men at St. John don't need that kind of advice, okay? Whoa, I thought that would go over better. Okay, uh, uh, apparently I might have touched a nerve. Uh, but here's the thing, it, that's, not, that's not what it is for this year. It is, uh, you know... Art, and I talked to him about it a little bit. He said, you know, this is my whole life wrapped up in these two hours, which is a man's life as pilgrimage, as going from A to B. So I don't know exactly what he's going to do, but as you know or may know, pilgrimage, again, is one of the great seven ways that Christians have ordered their life over the past couple thousand years. You know, we're doing these ways. I'll, maybe next time when I come back, I'll explain the broader picture. But pilgrimage is a way to order time and space. You go from here to there. You take some time. Everything is different. You know, you pray as you walk. Um, you know, your food is different, your space is different, and you end up in some, um, you know, great place like, you know, the Cathedral of St. James where they swing the big censer. That's what happens to you. So, um, anyway, okay, enough of that. Yes, my friend. Really? That's good. How, how big is the room that we're going to be in? Are we going to be okay? I'm being quite serious. Do they, do they give us a big room? It's the pool, isn't it? It's around the pool. Yes, it is. Now, the image of 70, 80 of you guys in a Speedo in the pool with me, just kind of, I'm thinking this through. I'm just like, this is very, very painful for me in so many ways, okay? Yeah. We'll figure it out. Believe me, you show up. We'll figure it out, okay? But it should be, you should be fun. You should be fun. 
Uh, it, it'll be great, all right? Keep your noses clean. All right. Um, I don't want to ask you how your fasting is going because I don't want you to be prideful on a street corner. But um, uh, how's your fasting going? <laughs> so here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say don't fast, as you heard on Ash Wednesday. He didn't say don't fast. He said when you fast, you know, don't, don't make it a, keep it in the way of, of the gospel. That's basically what he said. He, he expects you're going to fast. He also expects you're going to pray. But he just says, you know, you just keep it, you keep it within the bounds. Now, a couple of people have shot me emails, um, things to think about that I haven't said. One person uh, wrote and asked, you know, how you break a fast. Um, the answer is gently. You don't, like, go through the line at McDonald's and supersize it. That's not how you break a fast. If you haven't eaten, especially for 24 hours, you come out usually very gently. You know, it's usually um, tea, soup, you know, softer things. It's not like, you know, two Big Macs and a large fries. Your body will react, especially if you're not used to that. So you come out of it gently. Um, kids, people have asked about kids. Uh, I would just let your kids go. You know, the current Catholic doctrine is if you're age of 14, um, that's where they sort of break the line. And by 14, you're about being able to tell the difference between things. And there's a few 14-year-olds I know who need to be pushed around. However, um, uh, after that sock thing, we're going to give them a couple of weeks of pass. By the way, you women who have appealed to me already that I talk to your husbands, there's a very specific reason I started with under the age of 18. I can only bear so much. I'm a man and not a god, okay? So, you know, your husband, he's your problem, all right? So just, you know, we'll talk over long periods of time. Um, Let's see, your kids, give them a pass, um, come out of it gently. The question was, how do you do this in a not prideful way? That was another question. One of the, one of the, I mean, basically, you're just not prideful about it. It is a discipline. One of the reasons, it's like so many things in the church that Lutherans should do that they don't do. It's like confession. It's like ringing the bells. It's like having vestments. It's like singing in Latin. It's like having Wednesday church during Lent. It's like all the things that, you know, that Lutherans should do. If I mean... You just have to remember that Lutherans never thought of themselves as a new church. Many Reformed people did. And if you talk to Reformed people around Wheaton, they clearly think of themselves as, you know, one lady famously said to me, you know, nothing happened in the church between, before 1912, which was when her particular denomination was started. I'm like, you know, really, 1912? There's a lot that happened in the church before then. So here's the thing. If we were doing this all the time, the pridefulness sort of, for at least us, would diminish. You have to do it a while, and then it would come back up. But it's not bad to encourage people and talk to people who are doing it kind of gently to get some advice, to see what they're doing, um, to see, uh, you know, to see how it's going. What I don't want to do is I just I want to stay away from giving you any sort of medical advice. I just, you know, I'm not a doctor. That's not what I do. But I do know that people, you know, far weaker than us have survived fast for much longer than any of us have chosen. But, you know, my suggestion to you is to start small. Just pick something, even if it's until the Eucharist. Even, we'll go through this today, some of this stuff, I guess, but even if it's till one of the times of the daily hours, 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., even if it's, you know, 24 hours, you know, just pick something and see how it goes. Pick less rather than more. And um, I would just at least for clarity's sake have you observe the difference between fasting and abstinence. They are two different things. For many of you, I would suggest that for many of you, it would be harder for you to give up chocolate or beer for Lent, for every day in Lent, 
than it would be for you to fast one day a week. I would just bet you. I would bet you the abstinence for many of you is harder. Um, so pick something that you can do. You know yourself. I mean, I'll talk to you about it if you want, but this isn't a quiz and you're not being graded on it. This is a way to order your life and turn your attention back toward the cross. That's all this is. That's all fasting ever was. Fasting was an interruption and a reordering of time. And, you know, it was, a fa- it, was a, it, was a, it was an interruption of your normal life, body, soul, and spirit, you know. So, you know, you pray with your, with your heart, you fast with your mouth, you, you know, see with your... It's, it's all these things. It's, it, it's a way to... It's why we do what we do downstairs. We're trying to engage every last part of you, you know. So this morning is a great example. There's oil for the child. You can smell their salvation. You know, you, you know kids splash. That's good. It's tactile. Um, you can see it, you can hear it, you listen, you talk. Uh, it it's engages the whole person. This is just another way to engage the whole person. It's not about fasting per se. It is about ordering your life. Your lives are too busy. And um, in many cases, we have too much. And often we don't think enough about people. There's the great quote today about, you know, as you empty your own table when you fast, Give something to the poor. The great quote where it says, just because you're fasting doesn't mean the poor have to fast. They fast the rest of the year round. Let Lent be a feast for them. That's a great inclination. And very much in the way of the gospel, you see, because it doesn't say everybody has to fast. It says your order becomes different. So if you're living at pads and you never have anything to eat and suddenly everybody is kind to you during Lent, Lent becomes a feast for you. That's a change in your order. It's a change in your body and your soul. It's different and it's okay. Because the point is not the fast. The point is what the fast points toward, which is, in this case, Jesus on the cross. Make sense? Okay? All right, let's spin through this, because I so often, um, I know you've probably never noticed this, but sometimes I don't finish. So here we go. Um, The new stuff today, point 12, um, engaging sacred moments. So recall that the sacred moments are obvious and even intuitive. I haven't said this out loud. This is the first page of the one that's new for today that says 7B. So there, was, there were some old ones back there, but it's the new ones. You got new ones? Anybody need them? Raise your hand if you need them. Vic will get them to you. He's a good young man. Okay, so there's a, this, is the new, this is the new one that's 7B. You know, you'll know sacred moments when they come. So, for example, I can give you two really easily. Baptism today is a sacred moment. And in the early church, people fasted, adults fasted before they came to baptism. It was just what you did because you're going to have this remarkable thing. In the same way, death is a sacred moment. If you've had the death of somebody very near to you, you, your body automatically fasts. Your appetite simply goes away. If you've lost somebody who's very, very dear to you, your body reorders itself. I mean, the fast comes automatically. And sort of everything in between. If you really understand what Ash Wednesday is all about, if you really understand Good Friday, right? Fasts kind of become the normal thing. I mean, there are things in life that just simply make you lose your appetite. There are other things. Those are the horrible sacred moments. You know, death, grave sickness, your kid gets arrested, blah, blah, blah. All the grave, horrible things that happen, you react body, soul, mind, and spirit. In the same way, you react to feasts in the same way. Now, you have to take a little more, you have to take a little more attention, but... If you're going to be baptized, you fast toward the baptism. If you're coming to the Eucharist, you fast toward the Eucharist. If you're going to celebrate Easter, you fast through Easter. By the way, 
you know, part of the problem with going to pastor school is you have to learn things after pastor school. I did actually, and I wrote it down for you, there was a council who said, and I gave you the thing, if anybody fasts on Sunday, let him be anathema. That's as strong as a council get. Let him be damned, let him be cursed. It's the word that Paul uses in Galatians where he says, if anyone turns you away from Christ or says that it's Christ plus something else, let him be anathema. That's in a remarkable statement. If anyone fasts on a Sunday, let him be anathema. Why? So just, you know, if I haven't said this clearly, and I'm still exploring about Saturday, in the early church, both Saturday and Sunday were forbidden, especially Sunday, especially Sunday. You never fast on a Sunday. We talked about this. Lent is really 46 days. It's the 46-day week. I mean, it's six days, you know. So it's six times six plus the four of Ash Wednesday through the first week. But the Sundays are exempt. And so if you're fasting, it's quite an extreme fast. Your fast, you know, doesn't apply on Sunday. Um, You know, we can talk about that. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm trying to make the point to you that Sunday is always a feast day. Sunday is always a little resurrection. So questions? Yes. Karen Crawford, it's a joy to see you again. Yes, my friend. I'm confused. Oh, Karen. All the people who are confused are in a different class. Everything is so clear here. <laughs> you're, you're talking about, um, about a, a fast on a Sunday being an anathema, but a few minutes ago you talked about fasting until after the Eucharist. Good, yes. Yes, right. The church is so confusing. Um, yeah, it's a gentle fast toward the Eucharist. So one would have that's and that's actually a very good question. I'm actually I want to find some people uh, who are smarter than I am about that. I can tell you the general sense of it is is that. Do you remember in the first time I talked about this? I talked about um, the difference between um, fasting and festive fasting. So Jesus says, "Hey." They say, why don't your disciples fast? Pharisees fasted, you know, two days a week, Monday and Thursday. Why don't your disciples fast? He's like, hey, this is a party. You can't fast at a party. That's stupid. You still have to pay the caterer. I mean, that's what he says. The bridegroom is here. The wedding is here. And he says, they'll fast later. But here's the thing, and I'm going to talk about this, although I'm talking about it now, so I'll just let it go. Here's the thing. Fasting later means, Karen, think about your life, okay? This is your, and I've said this to you a hundred times on how things come together. You don't live your life from now until your death. You live your life from your death backwards. So you live your life from the last day backwards. So you know what's going to happen to you. You've been baptized. You've had the Eucharist. You rest in Christ's hands. There's nothing that can happen to you. Nothing can destroy you. You've died. You'll always live. In some sense, you can't have a grievous sacred moment because you know that, as Paul says, that Christ is always for you and never against you. So even your most rigorous fast is tempered by the fact that uh, it's all within the joy of of God's Word and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, you might show a bit of respect to the Lord. It's a little like this, Karen, I suppose. When you were just a child, did your mother tell you not to eat before dinner because you'd ruin your appetite? It, mu- it must be something like that. It wasn't that your mother didn't love you. It's just that she asked you to hold off a bit for the next best thing. And I wonder if you could think about fasting before the Eucharist in that way. Uh, well, see, now you want me to be a pope. And while I know the, jo- while the job is vacant, I really have no interest. 
see, see, what I'm trying to do is not give you, I'm not trying to give you a ruling. So I give you the most outside counsel that sort of passed this thing. It's not one of the, the great ecumenical councils, but it was a council. And it tells you how seriously I took it. So here's, I mean, here's the baseline thing I want to say. You can't let fasting become a law that hurts your conscience, okay? So it's a help that pushes you toward the cross. So in the way that uh, we're posing the question, and even me sort of citing the counsel to you, immediately now I've become the guy who is telling you when your fast is right and wrong, and I'm, that makes me extraordinarily nervous. So I want to you know, take two steps back and say to you, the church is so happy about the resurrection and so thankful that it gets the Eucharist on Sundays that they couldn't quite imagine um, letting any sort of asceticism creep into that. It's a party. You know, it's a wedding. It's a joy. Now, sometimes before people come to a wedding, they sort of clean up, you know, put on their nice clothes and save their appetite um, you know, for wherever, for, for the Arrowhead Golf Club, okay? It's like that. Does that make sense? See if that works. Yes, David. An observation on this, and if I remember my church history correctly, such instruction about uh, fasting before the Eucharist comes from a time when uh, Eucharist was celebrated every day. And I am reminded of that because every morning, Monday through Friday, I have to watch out for people going to Mass. You must live in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. God bless them. But I'm thinking that that's probably the kind of thing that they were talking about. It could, it could be. Um, and, and the thing is, even then, if you go to Mass daily, you're just, you're, just, you're just saying to yourself, the Eucharist is the best start of my day, and that gets to come first. So fasting to the Eucharist is just a way to let it come first. But I, I just, so for all of you to hear, just to be... You know, the worst thing I could do for you is to, like, put you under a law and burden your conscience. That's not the point of this. The point of this is you pastor, you coach the team you've got, not the team you want. So here's the point. You're very busy. You're very distracted. You have way too much on your plate. You're very good people. You're trying to pay attention to the baby Jesus. But there are so many things. Your cell phone is ringing and, you know, you know there's stuff on the television. You've got to report to and blah, blah, blah. There's so much going on. Fasting is simply a way to defend yourself from that. And in that defense, it, gives, it carves out a little bit of time for you to pay attention to Jesus. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm actually not and will not be the guy who does this to you. you know? I just will not. Um, it ruins your life because there's too much of this in your life already. Um, we kneel down. We hear Jesus say this. And then he raises us up by saying, I love you and I forgive you, you're mine. And the fasting comes as part of the, I love you and forgive you, you're mine. Okay? So I just want to just be clear and careful and happy about it. All right, I'm going to push you because I want to get this through. Um, So there are these sacred moments, and we talked about them. We've talked about them. I'm sure at the betrayal on Monday, Thursday, Jesus lost his appetite, you know? I'm sure that when, when um, Cleopas is on the road to Emmaus on Sunday morning, I'm sure he hasn't been interested in eating since, you know, uh, Friday afternoon, okay? So getting started, and this is just reviews what we did last week. Make it manageable, better to do less than more. Ease into it. You know, pick something you can do. I'm turning the page. 
ease out of it. Don't supersize it. Don't force it on your kid. And don't make me be your doctor. I'm not your doctor. Okay? And then we did this last week. What could possibly go wrong? And, you know, everything. This is the church. We can, you know, we can, we can mix up almost anything, okay? And we talked about all these things that could go wrong. And then I sort of push you to the last line. Misuse doesn't, make, doesn't constitute disuse. Just because people screw things up, that doesn't mean you can't use them anymore. If you applied that in the rest of your life, you know, that's what people did to incense, that's what they did to vestments, that's what they did to hymns, that's what they did to the daily office. You know, if the Catholics do it, we can't do it. If people have misused that, we can't do that. The, you know, say the same thing for, uh, you, know, you know, cars and trains and husbands. They've all been, you know, gone awry, but we just, we just keep going, right? So misuse doesn't mean disuse. We're trying to bring this back to you. And you imagine then all the things that could go right. And this is where I want to sort of push you. And then I'm going to leave you be a little bit um, through Lent and see where it goes. Where we're going to go next is to talk about Jesus' very poignant statement where he says, um, sometimes the demons always come out by fasting and prayer. And so we are going to spend a couple of weeks in Lent talking about prayer because what's happened is we've carved out a time, we've set some practices, We want to try to bundle all that up before we get to Palm Sunday so that maybe you have some good habits going out into Easter, okay? So um, imagine if things could go right. Here's some things that could go right. First, um, remembering. Uh, I said this to the new new members class, and and I'll say it to you. Um, My life is very different than it was when I first came to you 15 years ago. Uh, I kind of recognized this on, on the fly in the new members class Saturday where I was talking about tithing. And money, and I realized how different that speech has become. When I was first here, you know, uh, I sort of had to talk you into it. I had to explain it. I sort of had to tell you about it, and people were very skeptical. Things are exactly opposite now. What's interesting now is when you have a new members class and you talk to them and you say, "You really should do this." I don't have to say this now. I don't say you really should do this, this because this is what everybody does. So you know, I'm at the point where I'm saying. And you should give 10% of your gross income to the church. And just to refresh you, why is that? Because you stink at picking numbers. Jesus is really good. When Jesus picks a number to support the church, he picks 10. When Lutherans pick a number, they pick 2.4. Ergo, Lutherans stink at picking numbers. This is easy. So if you stink at something, you should get some help. Okay? That's, just, that's my point. You can't run the church at 2.4% of people's gross income. You can't do it. It's impossible. That's why the church is always a mess. 99% of the things that go wrong in the church are money things. If you took away all the money fights, people wouldn't have anything to fight about for about a week. Okay? So um, what's very interesting now is you can say to, I can say to new people, uh, I don't have to say you should do this because this is how it works. I can actually say this. You, can, you should do this because you're joining a community that does this. This is what, and you don't actually want to be parasitical. I mean, you don't want to be the guy who, you know, I mean, you've all been to dinner with people who, you know, the guy who goes to the washroom right when the bill comes. Yeah, your brother-in-law. You don't want to be that guy, okay? Don't be that guy. It's, that's a very different kind of chat than nobody's doing it. We need to do it. It's very different, okay? So the point of all that is, is in the remembering, you know, remembering who you are. One of the things that fasting does for you, and discomfort, I mean, we've learned this, Pain is a very good teacher. I mean, there are, it's the Mark Twain thing, which I can't tell you exactly, but he says, you know, there are things that you learn when you pick up a cat by the tail, 
that you can't learn any other way. <laughs> I mean, that, in fact, is true. I mean, pain teaches you some things. So what happens when you fast is you experience some pain or at least some discomfort or at least some discombobulation of your schedule. And you think to yourself, why am I doing this? And it's just great baptismal stuff. Remember who you are. You belong to this community. This community is in a period of fasting and reflection. It's what we read on Ash Wednesday. Remember the little thing the pastor reads to He says, we're about to enter a season of penance where the church has, for thousands of years, been thinking about who it is and where they're going. And you're going to join with the church for the last 2,000 years, and now you're going to play your part in that. That's what we read on Ash Wednesday. And then we sort of do that. We mark ourselves with ashes. We go to the Eucharist. We have a particular focus on, on the crucifix, you know, because for the next six weeks we remember who we are and what we're baptized into. You remember what you got into. So one of the reasons you fast is this very um, helpful thing that you remember. And you also remember that in the scriptures, remembering is a synonym for faith. When you remember who you are, if I say to you, who are you? And you say, I'm the baptized. When you remember who you are, that's a, that's a statement of faith. Who do you belong to? How is this child to be named? And then, you know, it was a, and this morning it was great because the sponsor said, you know, I said, when I ask you, you need to say, uh, you need to say the child's name. And I always tell the story about my first congregation where this very kind woman, Velma Willie, was baptized as John. No lie. So this woman, her baptismal name is a man's name. And even in her 80s, she's like, is this going to be okay when I get to heaven? I'm like, it's going to be okay. Because your pastor was an idiot. Uh, doesn't, that's not going to keep you out of, you know... But she's like, yeah, but you always say my baptism. So my baptismal name is John, but everybody calls me. It's a complicated situation, I admit. <laughs> but we say, you know, this morning we say, how is this child named? Lisa Schofield. Schofield. Byer. No, you leave the last name off. Byer is your hospital name. The first two are your baptismal names. That's also why many of you, if you grew up Catholic, have a fourth name. My favorite one, <clears throat> my Greek Orthodox friend, Basili. You know, that's a great, you know, that's a great... Uh, that's a great, you know, baptismal name. So you remember who you are. You're the baptized, okay? So that's one reason. You know, what's the, what are the benefits of fasting? One is memory. The next one is rhythm. And so I, I've said this to you a lot. This goes with order and this goes with calendars. And we're going to talk about other calendar stuff later. But one of the things that you do is you're trying to establish a new rhythm in your life. Your lives are too busy. Your lives are too painful. You don't have enough time for your wife or your husband or your kids. You, when was the last time you read a book? You know, when was the cover-to-cover cover book? Not a book review, a cover-to-cover cover book. When was, the last time, when was the last time you just sat and were quiet? We're trying to put a few quiet places in the liturgy. Like there was some quiet in today. I was curious whether you thought, hmm, this is really good, or you thought, what's gone wrong? They've lost their place. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what you're thinking, when it, but at some points, you just need to be quiet. And you'll notice then, halfway down, this notion of stationary fasting has been a long tradition in the church. Stationary fasting is what you would call you know, Wednesday and Friday, or no, you know, the abstinence of no meat on Friday. So here's the deal. The Pharisees fasted on Monday and Thursday. Very early in the church, the Didache, one of the, it's the first church manual, sort of tells you how to be a Christian. 
how to be a pastor, how to get a pastor, how to conduct your services. This is what we do. The Didache has these great things like when you have a baptismal font, if you can, if you baptize, baptize in living water, moving water, because it'll just remind everybody that the Holy Spirit is there. So today when you go into the, and you look at the font and you can just see that little tiny ripple, how does Butcher do that? It can do this, but it doesn't make any noise. It's fantastic. So another thing that it says in there is, hey, we don't want to be confused with the Pharisees. We went to the temple for a while. They kicked us out. We're different. We believe in the little baby Jesus. And we're very grateful for the cross. So it says, so that we're not confused, they fast on Monday and Thursday. We will fast on Wednesday and Friday. And, of course, then immediately you get a theological interpretation, which is on Wednesday, and if you count, you know, dust to dusk, so it leaches into Thursday, Jesus was betrayed. And on Friday, Jesus died. So they're like, eh, those are two good days to fast. The day he was betrayed and the day, you know, it's a little bit of a stretchy thing, but sometimes the church is like silly putty. Okay, so... Um, you know, so, but, this, but the point of stationary fasting uh, is that you're all in it together. So I'm not that brave. I'm not that brave to say, you know, no meat on Friday, or I'm not that brave to say everybody, nobody eats till noon on Wednesday. And I, I'm not sure it would be helpful, but I want to observe for you that when the church does this, this is very much the notion of solidarity with each other and, for example, with the poor or with the hungry. It's one thing for a person to fast, it really is quite another thing for all of Israel to fast, the Day of Atonement, or for an entire church to fast. Now, we would have to have a long conversation, a very long conversation, and it would have to be in the way of the gospel. If we were going to say, as a group, as this group, for example, or as a church, we were going to fast and fast to pray towards something. That would need to be a conversation. But there is great power in that because it gets everybody on the same page, and it focuses everybody its attention. And the church has known this. And so these stationary fasts, things like, you know, nobody eats on Friday or nobody eats meat on Friday, for example, or all the other ways that those things can be worked out, those can be extraordinarily powerful things because they order life in a way that we're all in it together. Okay? Still with me? So I'm not suggesting that. I mean, that's, we're not there yet. We'd have to think about that, and that would be a very careful thing. Uh, and you'd have to do it in a way that wasn't prideful or demanding. Because as soon as this is under the law, it's going to go completely wrong. As soon as it's under the law, it's going to be divisive rather than um, creating community or cohesiveness. Okay? So we just have to think about that. I'm not suggesting that. You know, maybe that's out there somewhere. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's for something. We have to, we'd have to identify a sacred moment, either grievous or happy, and then uh, we'd sort of have to say, we're kind of all in it together, friends, here we go. Okay, make sense? But I just want that in your vocabulary. It's statio in Latin, station, it comes right, yeah, and an N, it comes right into English. These are the stations, you know, a stationary time, or, but it may, actually means a communal, all in it together type thing. So um, the first thing is it helps you remember. The next thing is it gives a rhythm to life. You'd fast on a Wednesday and you'd say, but everybody else is fasting too, and I don't want to let the side down. Okay? So I'm not suggesting it. I'm just trying to put it out there so you know. The next one would be um, justice. One of the deep problems with this Bible study is we don't read the Bible enough. Uh, spin open to Isaiah if you can still find it. We have a baptism at the late service. I, I have to tend my time today. Um, 
Just listen to this. This is Isaiah 58. I mean, just listen to this. This is how, and this is normal sort of talk, okay? This is just very normal. 58.2. This is God talking. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. So they want to know what I'm talking about. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. This is not going to go well. You can feel this coming. Why have we fasted and not seen you? Why have we humbled ourselves and take no knowledge of it? Now, see, here's the thing. So this is a this for that. This was the first thing I tried to get you to break was that if you fast, then you get something back. It doesn't work that way. It's not a deal. It's not you fast and God does something. It's something happens, you fast, And maybe God will do something, or better to say, God will do the right thing, whatever it is. Tuck this away, Bernard of Clairvaux. When you pray, God will give you what you ask or something better. When you fast, God will give you what you ask or something better. You're not doing a deal. The problem here is is they think they they can do a little bit and God will give them a lot. Why have we fasted and we don't see you? Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't take note of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. See? And you oppress all your workers. Because, you know what? Because your fast has become rote, because your fast has become meaningless, because your fast isn't directed at the crucifix, that's not our problem. Our problem is that we don't fast at all, even though the Bible says it would be good for us. So this is the other side of the coin, and everything can go bad. It can be bad if you never fast. It can be bad if you always fast, but don't really let it build a rhythm or build a repentance or build a memory, Okay? Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight, holy cow, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours will not make your voice be heard on high. Isn't that great? Fasting like this will not let your voice be heard. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. So, I mean, you can extrapolate from this. Churches who fight all the time, does God listen to their prayers? Hmm, you at least have to pose the question. I mean, sometimes God gets so peeved at the way we carry on He just is like, he's going to watch cable, all right? (laughs) Is such the fast that I choose a day for a man to humble himself? Is it that he bows down with his head like a rush and spreads sackcloth and ashes under him? Why do you call this a fast, a day that's acceptable to the Lord? Why do you think going through the motions is acceptable to me? See, this is the praying speech, the tithing speech, the, you know, living together in love speech. Why do you call going to, why do you do this and you call this going to church? Why do you fight in voters' meetings and call that church? I don't know anything about that. Now, the good stuff. Is this not the fast I choose? Okay? The fast I choose is this to loose the bonds of wickedness. Stop being mean. Is this not the fast I choose? To undo the thongs of the yoke. Don't, don't lay fall, don't, don't press on people. Life is hard, man. People don't need you to press on them. They're pressed enough with everything else. So undo that. Let the oppressed go free. And this is just the postmodern cry for justice. Let the oppressed go free. Okay? If you are in any way oppressing people, you know, stop and break every yoke. Is it not to, isn't this a fast I want, that you share your bread with the hungry, You bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Isn't this what I want? 
I actually don't want people to be hungry. So how many millions of people go, go to, how many, it's, the, the number is staggering of children that go to bed hungry in America every night. This is what I don't want. I don't want people to be hungry. I don't want people to be homeless. And I don't want people to be um, out in the cold with no clothes. I don't want to see that. You should be thinking to yourself, it's time to sign up for Christmas sharing. That's what you should be thinking. You should find Carol Holter as soon as this is over and start stockpiling mittens on sale in the next three weeks, right? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Then things will go okay. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Then you come back to life, right? Uh, your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of God shall be your rear guard. So this is great. You know, he'll go in front of you. He'll go behind you. You've got nothing to worry about. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, right? Then you shall cry, and he will say, Hineni, here I am. You know? I mean, it could not be clearer what God wants from us, and it's so blasted simple. Now, last thing, because i got to go, cause this, but here's the deal. So what happened in that thing is you suddenly shifted from, how did we shift from you know, not having Cheerios for 40 days to you need to drop some clothes off at the homeless shelter? How did we shift? Because you're one whole lot, and you can't, just because you focus on one thing, that you're going to fast you know, for 12 hours, you're going to fast till noon. Just because you focus on that, it doesn't come detached from the rest of your life. It helps you pay attention to the rest of your life. The whole point of this is to help you pay attention, to think about what holiness means, to remember what it's like to receive the Eucharist, to remember a time when you had nothing and now you have everything. The whole point of this is, this is the same point as when, you know, in the old, where, where it says, you know, when you, when you reap your fields, don't go all the way to the edge because there's poor people who have nothing to eat and they're going to come out and take the last three feet and that's got to be okay with you. You don't have to squeeze every last dime out of it. You don't, maybe you should think about, maybe you should think about other people before you buy the next new thing. How can people around us be hungry? How can that happen? And then, see, here's the good news now. That sounds pretty heavy, but here's the other side. That's why things like when you give to the manna fund, I mean, I'm giving out hundreds of dollars every month to other St. John members because you put them somewhere and then other St. John members don't have enough for pick something their rent, their food, their broken furnace, whatever. God bless you. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. Christmas sharing, gifts for grace, aid to the Russians, stuff for Westfield House, all the things that happen, Essie, pads, all of that stuff. So all I'm saying to you is Lent is a time that resensitizes us to that. And in a very gentle way, I can say more, please. We're not at the point, I don't think, we're not at the point where God says, you're a mess and I'm not even going to pay attention to you. We're at the point where we're saying, you've just begun and you're very, very good at this, but it's time for the next big thing, which is you know, to gather everybody together, get everybody on the same page, work even more closely, be even more kind, do even better. Because you have to? No, because you've been so blessed. We have so, so, so much, you know? And God has been so kind to us. And frankly, this is such a happy place. And you're such a good community. And you get the Eucharist all the time. And there's icons to rejoice in and people and baptisms. You have everything. I have everything. What more could I want? And then what happens then is the fasting sensitizes us to people who don't have what we have. And the Lord says, this is a good chance for you to be kind for them. Make sense? So it's completely under the gospel. It's not under the law unless you make it under the law. If you make it under the law... Then it is. If you make it as a rule, if you make it prideful, if you make it like this, if you make it go wrong, 
Anything can be ruined, the old thing. Every word can be said two ways. But that's not where we are. So be happy about where we are, but use this next few weeks to kind of get some experience and to try to do better. Make sense? Okay? So I don't want to leave you under the law. I want to leave you very much under the gospel. But, it, you know, there's always growth in the gospel too. All right, I love you. I got to hop. Let's pray. Thanks. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you soon.